Welcome to Beyond Bite Wings, the business side of dentistry, brought to you by Edwards & Associates PC. Join us as we discuss how to build your dental practice, optimize your income, and plan for your future. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Edwards & Associates PC is not rendering legal, accounting, or professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information that is shared. At Edwards & Associates PC, our business is the business of dentistry. For help or more information, visit our website at enassociates.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Bite Wings. In today's episode, we will be talking about the struggles of an employer. It seems like over the past couple of years, specifically the past couple of years because of COVID, there has been some additional challenges a lot of our employers, employer listeners have faced, and we felt like we should do an episode to tackle some of those concerns and some of those challenges with the best knowledge that we can provide. And within the studio, we have Robert. Good afternoon. Hey, Robert. How are you? I'm great today. How are you? I'm doing good. Looking forward to this um, podcast. I know there's a lot of questions on the employer's minds. I wish we had more solutions than we do, but we can certainly come up with some ideas. Right. Absolutely. And plus, you also have to understand the limited amount of time that we have per episode. I think it will give us just enough time to talk about what we wanted to share with our listeners. So those of you out there that didn't know, but Robert, he himself is an employer. Um, He's the owner of Edwards and Associates. And I'm sure in his early years, when he first started off this practice, he had to face some challenges. So Robert, would you like to share with our listeners some of the challenges that you faced in your early years? Well, you know, the biggest challenge, and I sort of can use the analogy of a dental practice. I know when you start a dental practice, your biggest challenge is getting patients. And I thought my biggest challenge would be getting clients, but that wasn't it. The biggest challenge I've ever had is hiring the people that that are going to comprise your team, that are really going to enable you to serve the clients, and that sort of, you know, creates a growth mode of its own. You do a great job, and the clients that you have realize it, and they refer other people, and, and, you know, it takes off from there. So the biggest challenge I had was finding people uh, that I wanted to – to, to hire to do the work. And then my biggest personal challenge was um, learning to delegate to those people because, you know, I always felt, and now keep in mind, this was a long time ago, as my wife would say, it was in the dark ages, <laughs> you know, but um, my biggest challenge was learning to let go, learning to delegate. I had to um, realize that although someone may not be able to do this as well as I can at that point in time, uh, at least if they were doing it, you know, it, it, something's getting done. And uh, I think you have the same problem sometime in, in dental practices. Um, a leader has to learn to delegate and has to learn to trust their instincts about those people they've hired to do the work that you've hired them to do. Right. Absolutely. And um, I mean, as you said, it's not going to be done exactly the way you would want them to do. But over time, uh they would come close to how you would want them to do that job, wouldn't you say? Well, and my personal experience is that, you know, <laughs> eventually they're even going to exceed uh, the ability that I had to do the work. I mean, I've hired people that are obviously um, brighter than me and more technical than me, more educated than me. 
And again, you just got to learn to delegate to those people and let them do the job that you hired them to. It takes a long time. You would think that you can just turn a switch and all of a sudden, fine, I don't have to do this. I can delegate it to someone else. It's not that easy. If you care about the quality of the work, mm-hmm. it's not that easy. You have to have the comfort level of their ability to get the work done. But again, you know, the first time they do it might not be quite up to standards, mm-hmm. but it's called learning. Mm-hmm. You know, And the second time they do it, it's going to be better. And the third time, better yet. And eventually... Again, in my experience, um, it's going to exceed my ability to do the work. So uh, I've been fortunate in, over the years in hiring the people uh, that can do the work. And at this point, we have uh, 25 people in our firm and five of which are CPAs. Now, you said it wasn't so difficult for you to find the clients. What worked for you the most in your early years when you started off? Well, that's sort of an interesting question. You know, when you first start off, you've got to take in whatever client's going to help you put food on the table because I literally started my practice from scratch. I didn't buy a practice. I didn't assume uh, a family member's practice. You know, I started my practice from scratch, just like you would a dental practice. You know, open the doors and and um, hopefully there'll be people standing there to come in, right? Doesn't work that way. So what I did was I figured out how to really market myself to sources that could refer other clients to me. So in my early years, what I did was I worked with a lot of attorneys. Mm. We probably had a dozen or more attorneys as clients. And um, and those attorneys had clients of their own. And I, I choose to, to call those clients interesting clients <laughs> because they came in all sizes and shapes and, and uh, financial abilities. And it was just very interesting work. Most of them had problems. Uh, with the IRS or with um, you know, other things, and they would come to us to fix those problems. And and by focusing on uh, the attorneys, then uh, we got a lot of referrals from the other people. So that's the way I, I, I grew the firm in the early years. I see. And how were you able to narrow down to the niche market of dentistry? Well, <laughs> By trying to avoid it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if anybody's heard this story or not. I know I've told you before, but, you know, when I um, started my practice in, in uh, well, I don't want to give the year. That makes me sound like I'm <laughs> 90 years old. I'm not quite that old yet. But um, when we started the practice in the first six or seven years, we had maybe half a dozen dentists among all the other clients. And during that period of time, you know, I met a person um, ended up marrying her, and uh, now we've been married 30-plus years. And she was a nationally renowned practice management consultant, dental practice management consultant. And I did not want to be perceived as riding on her coattails, and so what I did was I tried to avoid working with dentists. Um, like I said, at the time, we had about six or seven dentists as clients, and so it was no big deal. Uh, I was avoiding something that we were already pretty successfully avoiding. Um <laughs> But after being married to her for about six months and listening to her telephone calls every night with her clients, I realized that I probably knew more than 99.9% of all the CPAs out there about dentistry. So I took my six clients one at a time, invited them to lunch, asked them questions about their practice, not about their taxes, not about their financial planning, not about their goals, financial goals, but, you know, questions about their practice. You know, how many operations, how many operatories do you have? How many... What's your, what's your average annual production per operatory? Uh, you know, what's your um, hygiene production as a percentage of total office production? 
all those questions you ask about a, a dental practice itself, the operations of the practice, and they, they, you know, looked at me and said, you know, how do you know this stuff? And we kind of went from there. You know, we kind of got involved in more consulting at that point and started slowly marketing to dentists and growing that. We went from those six dentists to maybe, I don't know, 75 or so in 2001 when I was introduced to a group known as the Academy of Dental CPAs, mm -hmm. which is a nationally known uh, group of 28 firms that provide services nationwide to dentists in every state. And we've grown from there to, at this point, we provide our services to um, at least 500 practices. So that's the way we've grown, and that's the way we sort of got into dentistry is by trying to avoid it. I see. Okay. So two things that I'm picking up here from your story. Number one, the power of networking. Absolutely. people. Absolutely. And, and, and that's something you hear a lot from people when, you know, whenever you're seeking for some advice, hey, how do I grow my practice? And they say network, you know. But with you, you're, you're telling our listeners, including myself, um, where exactly should you network to gain um, some positive outcome from? And number two, you also have this thirst for learning. You Honestly, that's what I'm hearing is that you were inquisitive. And when you would listen to your wife speak to the dentist uh, at night, you identified a need that there's this need for a specialized uh, CPA who understands the industry and you cater to that. Well, and it kind of helped that my wife uh, really has trouble with numbers. <laughs> and since I'm a CPA, you know, I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I would hear her on the phone talking about, you know, collections, production, whatever. And, and I would always interject little things and she would frown and then she learned to accept that. So we kind of, it was both ways. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Best of both worlds, right? So you talked about, you know, the team being, I mean, you actually started off with that biggest challenge that you have when you first started off as an employer uh, was with finding the right team. And I think that's a, even a bigger challenge today uh, because, you know, in the last two years of the pandemic, it's just been nearly impossible to find uh, team members. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of uh, employers are, are hanging on to the team members they have, which some of them may not necessarily be right for the position they're in, but there are no alternatives, or I should say almost no alternatives. It's very, very difficult to uh, find people right now. And I think one of our future podcasts is going to, we're going to have a, a guest on that will be able to address that with mm. uh, one of the staffing agencies. Now, um, since you actually brought this up, uh, I've heard two sides to this story. One, I've heard from employers or our clients that there's just no one out there to hire. That's why I'm hanging on to the people that I currently have. And then I've also heard from the employees side of the story. They're saying that, no, we're here. It's just that the employees are not willing to pay us what we're asking for. Well, I think one of the problems with that is that we've gone from a period of rel relatively stable salaries to all of a sudden a period of really high inflation. And, and it started Pretty suddenly, mm -hmm. I think near the end of 2021, we started seeing um, an increase in salaries. And now in uh, the early part of 2022, that's uh, maybe accelerated even higher. And the employers are still getting used to that. Right. You know, where a lot of team members were getting, uh, you know, their annual 2 or 3% cost of living raise, that's no longer adequate. And a lot of employers just haven't come around to that. Uh, and I think where it's particularly uh, magnified is with hygienists. I know uh, for years you could get a hygienist to come in at, you know, 40 or $38 an hour, maybe $42 an hour. 
And now I'm seeing, you know, 50 and even $55 an hour in some cases. So is it still profitable to have someone come in uh, if you have to pay them that much? And, you know, and at some point, if it gets so inflated that it's not uh, profitable, then yeah, I think the market will, will go back the other direction. But in the meantime, it's going to be painful. So there's not just a learning curve with other factors, but also over here, like understanding the market and what's happening and then adapting to it, finding out maybe a creative solution to tackle this. Well, I think that's one of the keys you said, uh, adapting to it. So yes, you have to be flexible uh, because the market's changing all the time, not just the market for employees, but the market for anything is changing all the time. And you can't use the same approach for any long number of years or even months. In some cases, you have to be flexible as an employer. So we're talking about setbacks. Now, let's hear some of your stories, right? <laughs> as an employer, when you have these setbacks, how flexible do you need to be to be successful? I'm not sure what you mean by a setback. Uh, when there's a period of time that requires uh, adapting. Okay. Uh, something you couldn't forecast or foresee would happen. Well, you know, it was more difficult in the early years because I had less employees. So when I had an office of, let's say, five people and my uh, main other CPA other than myself gave notice she was leaving, then, you know, there's panic ensued immediately because what am I going to do? You know, I had a receptionist, one other CPA, myself, and two staff accountants. Well, I'm losing the CPA. So I have a receptionist and two two staff accountants. And and, um, at that point, I had learned to delegate. Now, am I going to have to do all that work again? (laughs) So, uh, you know, you you start running ads and you start, you know, doing whatever you need to do to find a replacement. But that was much more significant when you have five people and one leaves. I mean, that's 20% turnover. Then now when you have 25 people, if one leaves, that's what, 4% turnover. So it's not as significant now. So it was more significant in the early years. So for a down practice that's not corporate, though, for them to lose a producer, it would essentially be significant. Absolutely. You know, when you have an associate doctor, and of course, the the majority of the associateships don't work out. I think the ADA says something like 80% of the associateships don't work out long term. That's a huge turnover because if you've had an associate in there for some period of time and they've helped to grow the practice to the point that one doctor can't handle all the patients, then they decide to leave, then what are you going to do? Right. You've got to find another associate. So what do you do? So right there, I mean, we know that's probably the most probable solution, but do they actually look for this associate before the associate that's currently working puts in a notice, or do you do that after the notice has been put in? Well, in an ideal world, which doesn't exist, <laughs> you would get notice and then you would start looking immediately. Mm-hmm. In my experience, that doesn't happen very often. What happens is the associate, for various different reasons, I've seen them come in and claim that they're going to go on disability and so they're leaving you know, Friday. Uh, I've seen some that had another opportunity and they say, hey, look, I, you know, I need to leave right now so I can go take advantage of this other opportunity. And, and who's going to hold them back? You know, you say, good luck, go and do whatever you need to do. But then that leaves you kind of in the lurch because you've got to find someone to replace that. So, yeah, there's a period there where, where you've got to do whatever it takes to get somebody in there. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you have to push the patients out and, and delay some treatment. And that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Not only hurts the practice from a standpoint of cash flow, but it, you know, it could upset some of the patients pushing their appointments out. So it's just not a good situation to be in. 
Oh, I can imagine. Okay. Now, what would be a good outlet now? I mean, especially uh, with the current market where it's very hard to find good people or good producers uh, to hire. What are some of the creative ways that you can think of that can benefit our clients? Okay, that's one of those areas where I really wish I had a better answer. <laughs> I don't really have a good answer. I mean, there's all the standard, you know, dentalpost.net and uh, some of the other websites, and I think they're uh, that's where everybody is posting these days. You know, I don't know if you can get more imaginative or more creative. I've even heard of one instance where a client needed a front desk person, so he had his front desk people calling other practices just to talk to their front desk people to see if they came across well. Uh, and when they found one that did, then they just poached them from the other practice. Mm, and, and unfortunately, you know, again, you do what you got to do. I see. Okay. I'm not encouraging anyone to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's what I see happening out there. Right. And dog eat dog world. I mean, you do what you need to. What about study clubs? Do you think that would be a good outlet to find potential good people or just to keep them on reserve just in case you have someone? Well, actually, not really. Because in a study club, I think you have a, a, a group of almost friends, mm -hmm. uh, dentists that have formed a study club and, and, and you're not, you're, you're probably less likely to poach from those people okay. than you would someone you don't know so well. I see. So I think you wouldn't necessarily talk to the people in your study club about, you know, providing people for your office. Okay. But you could get together collectively and brainstorm about other ideas to, to come up with some, some method of finding a person. It's just really uh, I can't emphasize this enough, uh, how difficult it is out there right now. I see. Yeah. Especially for the service industry, because, you know, um, for dentists and us alike, uh, we're not really selling products. We're selling services. Exactly. So yeah. it's the, the people that basically help us produce what we produce. Right. Um, what about, okay, so this, this has always uh, kind of piqued my interest, right? Because we all have certain biases, certain philosophies, certain um, mindset uh, when you're entering into, uh, let's say, an owner standpoint, right? From, mm -hmm. let's say, an employee before you were an employee. Now you're an owner. You're an employer. Um, you have people, various people working with you. How challenging is it to keep a neutral mindset? Mm, that's tough. I'm not sure I can really. I mean, my perspective is different than other people. It's, it's, I think it depends on the leader. It depends on the owner. Uh, it depends on the, the doctor owner. Some of them, it uh, depends on the personality. Some of them have uh, no problem at all keeping a very uh, objective uh, point of view toward the employees. And some, uh, maybe the majority, I guess in my experience, uh, will develop a closer relationship with uh, some employees than others. And that's not really fair to the team. It's not really fair to the business. So you do need to keep that, that neutral perspective. Right. Uh, but the doctor obviously works more closely with the chairside assistant than others. And so that's likely where they're going to have the closest relationship. I see. But even with, let's say, not pressing your own, let's say, religious afflictions or uh, political viewpoints or anything like that, how important would you say it is to maintain that neutrality? Well, you know, I think about specific clients that we have. And, and for some, they would totally disagree with what I'm about to say. But I think it's, I think it's very important that you really keep, you know, religion or politics out of the office. However, I know we have some very successful clients 
that, you know, play religious music in their offices and the majority of their patients come from a religious background. And so I think the answer is it depends on the demographics of your patients. You're catering to. Okay. Yeah. So again, be flexible. You know, if the majority of your patients come from that sort of background, then, you know, put it out there. Okay, good. So again, adaptability and flexibility. So you're Absolutely. going to analyze the market in this scenario by looking at your demographics and then in order to cater their needs, you create a culture within your office that will help them. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I think that'll again, flexibility I think is the key word in, in really any aspect, whether it's hiring people or or marketing or how to run a business, I think you just got to be flexible. You can't continue to do the same thing or take the same approach for any extended amount of time without some negative consequences. You've got to be flexible. And, and don't be afraid to go outside and ask people for ideas. Uh-huh. You know, I think a lot of owners are, are I don't know if it's an e- ego thing or if it's something else, but they just, they, they don't want to ask for help. Now, you know, if you're running a business, ask for help utilize all the resources that are available to you. And, you know, the phone is a great resource. So is email. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're not a member of a study club, I know that you probably know another 20 or 30 dentists that were in your graduating class. Email them, ask them what they're doing in this situation or that situation. And it'll give you 20 ideas right there. One of those is bound to be good, maybe three or four. Wow. Yeah. So again, keying in on the power of networking. Networking. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Robert. That definitely gives us an insight into uh, how an employer may face some of their struggles. Well, I hope it uh, provided some um, useful information. And if uh, anybody wants to uh, me to elaborate on it at any point, tell them how to get in touch with us. Oh, absolutely. So for people that want to get in touch with us, feel free to email us at info, I-N-F-O, at E and associates.com and that's and spelled out a and d and we look forward to hearing from you guys thanks for having me here today <laughs> anytime <laughs> All right. thanks for listening today be sure to subscribe to beyond bite wings on your favorite podcast platform For more info, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or reach out to us on our website. You can also shoot us an email at info at eandassociates.com.